You are the clown, she said. You need a mask, clown. She pointed to one aisle over. There, she said. The boys followed her finger to the shelf and saw three masks. Each was gray and simple, with eye and mouth holes, but no decoration. Kind of boring, Benny said. Try one on, she replied, blowing smoke rings their direction. Unless you are afraid, clown. Benny's lip curled and he reached for the first mask. Jack's hand shot out and caught Benny's. Maybe we should wait for Mr. Wheeler. For Wheeler. Benny shook his head. I'm trying it. He grabbed the mask and put it on. His back was to Jack. Jack looked past Benny to the suddenly smiling face of Sylvia. Her dark teeth grinned against painted red lips. And Jack tapped Benny on the shoulder, turning his friend around. Jack leapt back. The face looking back at Jack was his own. It was like a distorted mirror, and Benny had disappeared behind it. Jack reached for the mask. Take it off! What is it, Jack? Benny asked, blocking Jack's hand. Wee! Hey there! Sylvia shouted. The boy stopped. She pointed to a tall mirror on the wall, and the boys walked to it. Gazing in the mirror, Jack saw two of himself, and Benny saw what he looked like. Weird, Benny said, touching his face carefully. I'm you, Jack. Sylvia set aside her paper and stood from her chair. What were you thinking right before you put on the mask, clown? I don't remember, Benny said. Something about being the jester for your king there? The dangerous black boy? He's my friend, Jack replied, and I'm no king. I'm just a kid. You aren't just a kid, Jacques Zulu, she said. You are destined to greatness. It is written in this night skies and on every line in your hand. You are dangerous, Jacques. Dangerous indeed. Benny pulled off the mask and was clearly relieved to see his own face again in the mirror. He moved to replace the mask on the shelf. Toot! Sylvia said. You break it, you buy it. We didn't break it, Benny replied. Ah, but you did use it, she said. And it only has five more uses before its enchantment is ended. So, you must pay for it. You can't make us pay for that, Jack said. You told us to try it on. She looked at Benny. Does he always disappear you into a plural? 
Are you nothing without him? Can you not have a talk with me without your dangerous king interrupting and fighting your battles? Benny frowned. I don't have Wayland money, lady. I accept U.S. dollars, she said. That one is fifty dollars. Benny pulled out his wallet and drew out two twenty-dollar bills. That's the best I can do. I would have done it for ten, she said, snatching the two bills and placing them in her register. Merci beaucoup. Jack scowled at her smiling faces. Benny crammed the gray face mask into his backpack. Wheeler emerged from the back with two long blades in leather sheaths. Charge my account, he asked. Oh, but of course, Wheeler, she replied. But keep an eye on your little king there. He reminds me of a man I used to know. A man that is more than a man now and sitting in a prison down the road. Jack is no rancast, Wheeler said. Do not say such things, Sylvie, I beg. I trust him, and he has a good soul. You once said the same about Rancast, she replied. Wheeler shook his head, then headed for the exit. Soon they were bumping along in a carriage on their way back to the town center, the tower and the tree looming large on the distant skyline. The boys examined their new swords as they rode. Jack loved the blade Wheeler had chosen for him, and he tested its weight. He smiled and expressed his gratitude again and again, but the shopkeeper's words nagged at him. What did she see in me that reminded her of Rancast? Greatness, perhaps, Wheeler replied. Rancast isn't good, but he is great. Right now, you are good, but not great. When you become great, you will have a choice about whether you will still be good. You can exalt yourself or humble your heart. You can choose the way of life or the way of death. There are no other paths. How do you stay humble? Jack asked, looking from his new sword to the one at Wheeler's side. My life, Wheeler replied, is a constant invitation to self-sacrifice. I am a sage, yes. A warrior, yes. I am someone with status in the Wayland. I could let that turn me into a way of death, turn me to the way of death, but I try to surrender every day. I try to live my life as an action of surrender. Doesn't the sword make it harder? Benny asked. It sounds like the prison blade is something people would kill for. It is that, Wheeler replied. Rancus has tried to kill me for it many times, but even owning this blade means surrender. If I go the other route, I am doomed, 
Many think this blade means I can never surrender, but it is not so. It means that every day I must surrender. I must be owner and never owned. I must use this as a servant and must be a servant myself to something greater. Or I am lost, lost as Rhinecast is. Do you pray, Mr. Wheeler? Benny asked. Every day I do, Wheeler replied. Where else can I go? And I have been praying about Myrtle lately. There are some signs that other pathways may open. Have you heard of thin places, boys? Jack nodded. Where the spiritual and earth planes are close? Uh, English? Benny asked. There are places on earth, Wheeler said. In fact, they are in all worlds where gateways could be built. They are liminal spaces or thin thin places. They have usually been seen as places where fairies or other dimension is close to ours. Most humans, since our so-called enlightenment, dismiss them as bogus, but they do exist. I am concerned that the thin places in Myrtle may be accessed. What happens then? Benny asked. Well, Wheeler said, gazing off toward the tower in the tree, then anything could get through. Through into Myrtle? Jack asked. Beyond the gate radius? To our homes? Our school? The hospital? Wheeler sighed. Yes. Chapter 16. Pavilion Siege. Pavilion Siege. The carriage let them out on the gate of the common green closest to the gawk. Now, boys, Wheeler said, reaching for the new swords, you will earn these blades if you do not disgrace me in the battle today. Battle? Benny Benny asked. Yes, a battle. Uh, Not sure we're ready for that after a single, very one-sided session with you last night, Benny said. You are not ready, Wheeler replied, motioning for them to follow him. But this will be a good test and a baptism by fire into the martial arts. Like a karate tournament, Benny asked. You may use karate if you like, Wheeler replied. They followed him up an incline to the top of a hill where they gazed down on acolytes assembled in two opposing camps across a long field. Spectators gathered on staggered steps like an old amphitheater stadium on the long edge of the rectangular field. Huge banners flew above two opposing pavilions about a football field's length away from each other. Each pavilion was flanked by four smaller flags on thin poles stuck into the ground. 
They looked like slightly larger golf hole flags, each a small copy of the huge banner flying above the pavilion. The near army's flags were red with blue trim and a symbol of a stag's head in maize gold. The far side's flags were purple and silver, but Jack couldn't make out the symbol. Wheeler pointed to the stag team's pavilion. The contest is, is called Pavilion Siege, or PAV for short. Report there to the commander and ask to be admitted provisionally to his army. If he rejects you, then cross to the other side and beg for a place in their army. Hopefully one side will accept you. Well, what are the rules of PAV? Jack asked, his heart racing with a mixture of fear and excitement. They are fairly simple, Wheeler answered. You have a weapon, the wooden sword we fought with yesterday. As for strategy, it is like your game of capture the flag, but your object is to spike their pavilion. The pavilions are tense, and if you can destroy the enemy's pavilion, then you win. Alternatively, you may carry off a majority of their flags and plant them in your own pavilion row to win. This happens less frequently than these, these days, but once was more common. You will be suited with a vest and headguard, each containing burstable pockets of a liquid. Think of them as all as think of them as small, sturdier water balloons. If you are struck and any of these blood pockets burst, you are dead and must lie still upon the field until the battle ends. Benny nodded. So run out there and get swatted with wooden swords until we fake bleed to death? Wheeler laughed. Well, I hope you shall do a bit more than that, Benito, but my expectations are not unreasonably high for your first outing. And now, boys, you must be going. Yes, sir, Jack said. He patted Benny's back as they began to jog across, across toward the pavilion. We've got this, bro. Benny cocked his head at his friend. I'm pretty positive we do not have this. I for sure do not have this. Wading through a sea of acolyte soldiers, all geared up with blood pocket vests and fitted with red armbands, they reached the busy pavilion, which was fixed to the ground by four stout cords. Jack's heart raced, and the nervous energy of the first game of the season coursed through his body. He asked the guard if they could speak to the commander. The guard, frowning contemptuously, held up a finger and stepped inside. Returning a moment later, he said, The commander is very busy. He will give you 20 seconds to state your business. Jack nodded and entered through the open tent flap. Inside, several senior acolytes gathered around a table discussing battle strategy. They all wore red armbands, but their, theirs were decorated with ranks. Each wore a kind of hood with blue and red stripes around their headgear. A series of quick three of quick three-horn blasts sounded outside, and the guard ducked his head inside and saluted. Fifteen minutes, 
if you please, Commander. The Commander turned. A tall, dark Thandalian with an eye patch. It was Titrus. Of course, Jack thought. Titrus saluted the guard. Thank you, guard. Then he looked at Jack and Benny, a dismissive expression on his face. What's your business here? Sir, Jack said, imitating the guard's salute. We are here to ask permission to join your army provisionally for this battle. May we join, sir? You're imposing upon our PAV, are you? And you want to join my army? He asked, hands hooked into the neck of his padded battle vest. His helmet, topped with a kind of golden crown, lay on the table where his fellow officers planned their attack. If you please, sir, Jack replied with a quick bow. Could be humorous, Titrus grinned. All right, then, scum of the army, melee attackers, get suited up and get out of my command tent. Jack saluted and they left. To the guard, he said, We're joining the army. Where do we suit up? The guard pointed to a row of tables where acolytes of all shapes and sizes were fitting out in vests and headgear. As they approached, Jack studied the gray-white suits. The vests had four large pockets in front and back, and the head guard, like an Olympic boxer's, had one pocket across the forehead and one larger blood pack on the back of the head. Reaching the table, he and Benny were quickly geared up by the smirking quartermaster, including a battered wooden sword each. Don't lose any teeth, he said, shoving them toward the pavilion. Where do we go? Jack asked. What are your orders? Commander said we're with the melee attackers. What's that? The quartermaster laughed. Front of the army. That gang of idiots too green for any real participation in the battle. You'll find them gathered at the front like frightened mawits for the butcher's cart. Sounds awesome, thanks, Benny said, and the boys turned back to locate their assigned place. Benny's myrtle-high baseball hat poked out from under the headguard, and his braces glinted in the sunlight. Jack inhaled deeply. Not exactly Achilles. Don't be scared, Jack said. It's like their version of gym class. Except with swords and, like, real violence, Benny replied. This is not good, Jack. Not good at all. I'm rethinking everything. Where's your backpack? Jack asked. Wheeler's got it. That mask would have come in handy. Jack said, squinting as he scanned the layout of both armies. Yeah, Benny replied. Another horn blast, this time two in quick succession, sounded over the green. One minute, I think. Just as they reached the twenty or so soldiers in the melee group, an unimpressive band, Titus emerged from his pavilion and raised a hand for silence. He held his gold-crowned helmet to his hip and spoke loud enough for all the gathered army, about a hundred acolytes, to hear. Remember what they did to us last battle? We will not suffer a third loss in a row. 
It has never happened that we lose three battles on the trot since I came to command. It cannot happen today. Follow your officer's orders. We have a strategy that will lead us to victory if we all do our part. Think of the whole, not just yourself, he said, and his eyes fell on Jack. And fight for our colors. The gathered acolytes and red armbands shouted a hearty cheer, then turned to face the enemy. At last, a last single trumpet blast and another shout echoed across the field as the melee attackers, prodded by shouts and threats of the officers at their back, charged ahead. Jack ran with them, staying close to Benny. Ben, Benny shuffled along, his eyes darting back and forth in panic. The enemy's army, the enemy army's melee band clashed with theirs, and a clumsy fight ensued. Jack glanced back and saw amusement on their officers' faces, including Titus, who watched with undisguised mirth. Go on, he shouted, decorate the field. Jack assumed this was a traditional start where the least qualified acolytes would battle it out for the amusement of the crowd and the more senior soldiers, a preliminary to the real battle. I am no pawn. The first enemy soldier, purple arm band on his raised arm, reached him and swung clumsily at Jack's head. Jack ducked the swipe and kicked the attacker's middle. The clumsy kid's blood pack burst and purple fluid soaked his back, his cloak. He fell with a disappointed groan. Jack swiveled to see Benny dodging attacks from two enemies and he darted over to his friend, striking one enemy on the back with a wooden blade, the attacker's pack bursting at once. Benny tripped backwards to avoid the second soldier's punch, and Jack darted quickly between them. He blocked a telegraph stab, then spun and swatted his opponent's head. The blood pack burst and oozed over the dejected kid's face as he fell to his knees, then to the ground. The red-clad crowd, laughing only a moment before, booed and awed at Jack's fighting. Some pointed and began to cheer. Jack spun to help Benny up, calling, Follow me! Benny fell in behind Jack as he raced away from the sluggish melee and toward the enemy line, about 30 yards away. Jack! Benny gasped out. Where the heck are you going? Are we going? I'm not sure, Jack said, and it was an honest answer. What was he supposed to do? He knew he didn't like the script he had, had been delivered. Go die like a fool in the pre-match entertainment? He wanted to die more gloriously. For the pavilion! He cried and darted for it, leaving Benny gasping behind him. Jack rushed ahead, and the amused expressions of those around the enemy pavilion turned to anger, then alarm. The pavilion was not well defended at this moment. Jack swallowed hard. I guess this mad tactic isn't normally used. 
He drew near the soldiers guarding the pavilion amid shouts from the enemy commander. Flummoxed by the surprise move, he ran out himself to face Jack. A much older student, the enemy commander was tall and strong, and his crowned headgear loomed high above Jack. What the devil? he cried as Jack, instead of slowing, increased his speed. The crowd rose in expectation. They would soon come together, and Jack had no idea what he would do. Glancing at the tall commander's legs, he decided. Ten feet from the clash, Jack tossed his sword high in the air and darted at the enemy. Just before he reached him, Jack slid, baseball style, like stealing a base between the legs of the leaping commander. A wooden sword whooshed by Jack's head, and the young speedster emerged behind the commander as Jack's own sword arced down. Jack snagged it and brought it down hard in a slash against the shocked leader's back. His blood pack blew apart and splattered to the field. Dumbfounded, the commander fell to the ground as his stunned officers groaned and a hundredfold gasp sounded from the enemy army. A moment passed. Another. Then a cheer from the Red Army and their crowd filled the air. And Jack felt the whole of the enemy force approaching. He didn't wait, but raced directly at the pavilion. They were closing fast, but many were attacking from the sides. He left them on the field in front of the pavilion tent as he raced ahead. The first enemies to reach him were easy to dodge around, but the last line of soldiers formed in front of his object, the pavilion, and crouched with swords poised. Jack blocked a swipe by the guard on the far left, then ran for the nearest purple flag. He tore the flagpole free with his left hand. With his sword in his right hand, he blocked wild strokes from angry, trailing soldiers. He ran for the next flag, but stopped suddenly and spun back, causing his chasers to slide past him and collide into one another. His confidence rose. It was plain they hadn't dealt with somebody like him before. Those hours of Sandlot football imagining he was Cowboys running back Tony Dorsett hadn't been wasted. Jack raced for the pavilion and quickly switching the flagpole to his right hand and his sword to his left, launched the flagpole like a javelin. It struck the side of the command tent, tearing away a section of the pavilion. Papers scattered within, and an angry shout followed from the officers in pursuit. Meanwhile, a side glance told him that Benny had fallen, and the Red Army across the way was cheering louder than ever, and rushing the field to meet the disorganized enemy. As he ran, Jack raised his sword to the red host, and they shouted an exuberant war cry. The crowd cheered louder and louder. Jack smiled and shaped a dodging course to the pavilion. Enemies multiplied, and they struck at him as his fleet-footed jaunt neared its end. Seeing he could not dance away anymore, he lunged for the tent and swung his blade, 
snapping free two of the four cords holding the pavilion down. Hammering blows fell on his back and head as the blood packs exploded all over his body. He slid to a stop as the enemy pavilion lifted and flew up on one side. For a moment, he held his breath along with every soldier around, but the tent settled and held in place. He lay still a few feet from enemy headquarters while the Red Army poured in and overwhelmed their purple opponents. Chapter 17 Encounter at the Old Stone Bridge Encounter at the Old Stone Bridge Jack was wiping the purple liquid from his face with his sweatshirt sleeve when Titrus found him on the field. If you were really in my army, Titrus hissed, I'd invoke Article 9 and have you sidelined with a ten-week battle ban. Jack got to his feet slowly. His back ached from the battering he'd endured, and his head was ringing. Commander, I'm not sure what I did wrong. You disobeyed orders, Vandal, he snapped. I was given no orders, sir, he replied, rubbing his head. It doesn't matter, Titus said. You proved what you are today, a self-centered vandal who is looking for his personal glory at the expense of his duty to his companions and community. You are just like Rancast. The well of Jack's calm coolness was deep, but not endless. That's not true, he said, raising his voice a fraction. Just like him. Titus repeated quietly to Jack as the crowd swelled around the victorious commander and the hero of the day. What a tactic! One soldier shouted, clapping Titus on the back. Well done, commander! Others poured in and they tried to raise Jack on their shoulders. They didn't succeed, but they carried Titus off toward a celebration of their triumph and begged Jack to come. Thank you, he said again and again, shaking hands with many happy acolytes with red armbands. When the crowd had thinned, he found Benny waiting at the edge, his face covered in purple ink. Do I look as bad as you? Benny bowed with an elaborate hand flourish. I think not. If you had turned back from your wild, fantastic gallop, you would have seen a certain Benito Marino charging after you. How far did you get? Jack asked. Not far. No, no, not far at all, my friend, Benny replied, inhaling deeply. I slipped as they came for me, hit myself in the head with my sword, splattering this grody ooze on my face. But I didn't fall immediately. No such luck. Blinded, I tried to rush away and staggered into a big-bodied soldier so hard that I burst both our blood vests, or whatever they're called. When I sorted my eyes out and caught my breath, I saw that it was Commander Eyepatch himself I had killed in my moment of glory. Oh, not the best stats for opening game, 
Jack said, hiding his grin with a purple hand. Indeed, sir, Benny agreed. Two killed, both on our side. Not the best numbers. I believe you killed the enemy commander. Jack nodded. It seemed like the right thing to do. Well, Benny agreed, hooking an arm around Jack's neck as they turned back to where they had left Wheeler. Probably is better to kill the enemy commander rather than your own. I see that now. Perhaps, Jack said, laughing out loud now. But we both made an impact. Good news is, my dear Benny, that despite our victory, Commander Titus still really hates us both. That is shocking, Benny replied. I mean, I know you don't deserve his respect, but I really thought I earned it out there. They heard a voice from behind. Hey, Vandal! They spun to see the elf girl from the aqueduct job. Jack waved. Soadon? Yes, she replied. I just wanted to congratulate you. They shook hands. Thanks very much, Jack said. It was dumb luck. Soadon shook her head. No, it was neither dumb nor luck. It was a refined instinct, physical mastery, and lightning-fast intelligence. I'm not sure your tactic has ever been tried before in the long history of Pavilion Siege. I am a student of Pav. I'm writing a treatise for Master Du on the subject. I'd like to interview for it sometime, if I may. Jack shrugged. Okay. Benny smirked playfully. If you want anything from old Benny here, I'm free as well. I also took out a commander on the battlefield today. So Don smiled. Your own, correct? The details that can be glossed over for the record, Benny replied with mischievous grin. Well, she replied, you did accomplish an incredible feat today, Benny. You made Titus even more angry than he already was. What's his deal? Benny asked. Soadon's smile disappeared. He does have reason for his anger. He's my cousin, so I know more of his story than anyone else here. It's an unhappy tale. What happened? Jack asked. When he was very small, he was at the Thandalian Festival in the Valley of Stars, and the eighth day had come. He was excited because this was his first chance to hold a candle. He was proud to be old enough to be trusted with the flame. We were all excited to witness the coming of the Theons over the Valley of Stars, but Rancast's army came instead and a shardhark murdered his family in the attack. Little Titrus tried to fight the monster, but it swatted him away, tearing out his eye in the encounter. He was left on the ground, bleeding and alone, clutching his blackened candle to his chest. That was the last festival. He made his way, after many years, to the Wayland, He's excelled here, partly because of the fuel of his rage against Brandcast, 
and all the vandals. He's a wounded soul, and he wounds others from his great pain. I'm sorry his anger has landed on you. Jack shook his head. Thank you for telling us, Soadon. Jack lost his dad, Benny said, and his mom is pretty sick. I'm sorry, Soadon said. There is pain everywhere, I suppose. Well, I must go and join the others. Are you coming? We have to meet up with Wheeler, Jack said. We may come if there's time. Thanks for the invitation. She nodded and waved as she walked away. Benny let out a sigh as they walked on. Well, that was a downer. Jack nodded. How could you not be angry if that's what happened to you? They reached the spot where Mr. Wheeler had left them. The sky was darkening as one sun set and the other, more distant, was dipping low. Jack looked around, a sudden worry springing up inside. Where is he? A Thendalian in black walked up and handed Benny his backpack and Jack a note. Without a word, he hurried away. Jack read the note aloud. J and B, I am called away on urgent business. Get to the gate as soon as you can, before sunset. You must not be in the park after dark. Benny's forehead wrinkled. We'd better go, Jack. It's late, and Mordock is waiting. Right. Jack stripped off his vest and headguard and, taking Benny's, ran to the provisioner and set them on the table. Turning back, he met up with Benny, and they ran along the green for some time until they reached the road to Wayfarer's Inn. They ran on, dodging scooters and nodding to a mooter slab band that stopped and glared at them. Passing the old tavern, they hurried to the gate. They jogged the last foggy yards. Jack reached the gate and turned back to Benny, who was trailing him. B, we don't have the key. Wheeler stepped from the fog. Quickly now, he said, producing the key. Extending it, he said, Clavis Ignum. And the gate swished open. Myrtle at dusk appeared. The ancient glade, eerie and quiet. Jack stood between two worlds, glancing between both. Will you go with us, Wheeler? Benny asked. I cannot, Wheeler replied, glancing back into the fog. A huge figure stood shrouded in the misty gap between them and the distant gate to forbidden Kalingrad. Kalingrad. A huge figure stood shrouded in the misty gap between them and the distant gate to forbidden Kalegrad. A deep, menacing voice came from the fog. Let us go into the land of Kalegrad, Wheeler. Rancast's destiny depends upon our haste. Wheeler pointed through into Myrtle. Beware of crows. Be careful. Be quick. I shall see you tomorrow. Let's go, Jack, Benny said, stepping through the gate. Jack nodded and, with a last glance at the towering form in the fog, 
he followed Benny through. Twilight loomed in Myrtle, and the two boys sprinted until they shot out of the ancient gate. They mounted their bikes outside the shed, eyes darting in all directions as the sky purpled over with thick, threatening clouds. Frightening shadows formed as the single sun dipped lower, lower. They launched into a driving ride, pedaling like mad till they descended the last hill, and finally, gasping with exhaustion and relief, rolled past the twin parapets on the park side, and then the parapets on the town side of the old stone bridge. Sliding to a stop, they inhaled deeply and said nothing for a while, just breathing in and out. Jack smiled over at Benny. We made it. Benny nodded, a weary smile appearing. Benny nodded, a weary smile appearing on his face. And kiddos, it's not quite the end of chapter 17, but that's where I need to stop tonight. All right. So, they made it through a really cool pavilion. What was it? Pavilion? Uh, what was the game? Pavilion? Siege? Pavilion Siege sounds like a fun game. It reminded me of um, uh, Dude Perfect playing uh, Airsoft. But only Capture the Flag style with blood pockets. That sounds pretty cool. Anyways, made it out. Made it through the gates, through the, made it out the gate, out of the woods, and to the safe side of the gate, or the safe side of the bridge. So that's cool. Jack smiled over at Benny. We made it. Benny nodded, a weary smile appearing on his face. Okay, so, I love you kiddos. I'll try and read more tomorrow night, but uh, hope you have a good night. Uh, and I will see you soon. If I'm not there already, which I might be if you're listening to this. If I'm at home, I'm probably sleeping on the floor or the couch or something. But anyways, have a great day tomorrow, kiddos. Love you. Night, night.
Love will make your days come 